Big Safety Podcast with Vance and Bart. So I was looking on Facebook Marketplace Afghanistan, and I bought a Blackhawk. I bought a Toyota. <laughs> I bought a truck, and it only had 400,000 miles on it. Nice. So that thing's going to last for a, a few more years. Yeah, the Helix. That's what they sell there, right? The Helix. I'm Don't not sure what it was, one. but uh, the the back bed was covered and it said sold as is. So I assumed I would get some kind of goodies in there. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, so what we're referring to is uh, the, the arms that we left for the Taliban. We armed them once we can arm them again. Um, but we're, we are out of Afghanistan. It's time to cheer. Well, Twenty years is Half is that official? Life. Like everyone, we're we're out, out. Yeah, I, I I know there was some. There's an. I think we have the embassy still there, and the Taliban has is still honoring the um, ceasefire with America and. It doesn't look like they're trying to destroy everything. It looks like they're just trying to become the government of Afghanistan because if they went just destroying everything, they wouldn't have anything to govern and they would just create, you know, a backlash right now. They, for the most part, they have the hearts of the Afghanis. Of course, not the people in the North where the people who were funded by the and propped up by the U.S., but other than that, the rest of Afghanistan, for the most part, they have the hearts and minds of those people. So, so there's there's something fairly historic about this that I'm looking forward to seeing, other than the obvious. And yeah, yeah, yeah. To your point, we should maybe take a second and cheer. But honestly, we should just take this next better part of the hour to do that and celebrate a mm-hmm. bit but i i'm also looking at this through a slightly i'll i'll use the word scientific uh but a slightly scientific lens in that we haven't seen the u.s go into a nation wholesale and then pull out and see how that nation sort of responds and then self-governs after we've actually pulled out, right? We've right. gone in and installed governments. And we've then gone kept in, them propped up. Yeah. We've, we've propped up various different leaders. We don't leave. We're still in Germany. Like we're still <laughs> very much installed in a lot of these places, whether yeah. we claim to be or not. Uh, we're totally in Germany. Different. We're still in Japan. Right. We, we have our, our fingers in a lot of pies, yeah. but this is the first one in recent history and maybe the first one in a long time where we'll actually be able to see something play out on the global stage without our interference. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that we, we, by doing what we did, you know, Afghanistan before America came in and even greater than that before Russia invaded in america you know basically started the taliban um we afghanistan was a country where most people in it didn't know that it was afghanistan they lived in their tribe and that held true even up till america came in there and i think that now with cell phones and 
the fact that America did establish a central government, uh, instead of it being, yes, there is an Afghani government, but it really, it's really the government of the biggest city in Afghanistan and every tribe is its own government. That's how it used to be. And that's till recently. And I think that it's not going to, I don't think it's going to go back. I think it's going to have a stronger central government. And then like all central governments grow from there, fuck shit up. But that's just a prediction. Um, So, I mean, jokes on you, Afghanis. We gave you big government. <laughs> so, uh, well, medium government, because before they had an extension of our government, which is yeah. pretty big. Right. Yeah. Venting, um, if you will. But no, I mean, Joe Biden, who was the Democrat, who convinced other Democrats to help in go along with Bush and invade and all this stuff. The, he was the one, the champion with Cheney, you know, the, the bipartisan crew um, is the guy who finally, finally pulled us out. It's, it's hard to reconcile, right? Um, and I know it's hard to give credit where credit is due, and I know this is along the lines of uh, some of the stuff we've talked about before, where it's like, I'm not going to thank you for opening up the lockdown because we shouldn't have been locked down in the first place. Yeah. But you can still kind of give credit where credit is due and say, this is absolutely what we should be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't recognize Biden's power to have our sons and daughters over there, but he did and he stopped there now the other wars that we're fighting you know it's a different story but today we're talking about afghanistan and our sons and daughters american sons and daughters aren't dying there anymore we're not killing their children making more terrorists we're stopped i mean if we could just not create sanctions and maybe like trade with them i mean things could be good but i doubt that'll happen but relations between afghanistan and america could could be healed by some free trade um but you know that's wishful thinking uh but i just want i i, I don't want to get stuck in the negative and the bad things that are going to happen because we're going to do stupid stuff. But I do want to stay in the positive saying, you know, there's children there with missing arms and legs and from mines that were meant for troop American troops. There's troops that come back here and kill themselves because they realized what they were fighting for over there. And it messes with their head and other things that they see. And not to mention the ones that died there. Uh, every war stage that we stop, we'll never know how many lives we save. But uh, this is a good day. Agreed. A real good day. Agreed. This is absolutely the direction we want to be headed in. And I, I agree in that we should be thankful and grateful. It's easy for me to think about all the places we haven't pulled out of, but it's important to just as much think about how we are headed in the right direction for this and, and even be hopeful about what you said around, you know, what does free trade look like? Cause it's not just us being able to see how this new state plays out, but 
also see how this new state plays out as it relates to the rest of the world, right? How do they trade with Europe and Asia and Africa and, you know, North America, South America? How are they setting up these, these trade routes that honestly had been owned by the, to, to use uh, Alex Jones parlance, the globalists, yeah, right? The, the you know, the, the things that largely the Americas and Europe had owned, how do you do business with Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's going to be up to Afghanistan to do business with you. As long as the UN will stick, stay, keep their fucking noses out of it, not, you know, put sanctions on these people. Even if they are bad people, when you have free trade and you have something to show, like, you know, if America was, America is the symbol beacon of freedom, you know, through forced vaccination and stuff like that. Um, lockdown but if you have free trade between two places and you are the beacon of freedom you're living those principles then you will be the better product and those things will seep into the nations that you're communicating with these ideas will flow between you two through the trade through the interactions it's why it works. Um, that's why the market works. But if we're locking people in our their homes and calling ourselves a free nation and shit like that, like we don't have freedom to be given out. Like this whole we'll bring freedom to the Afghanis and so, like we don't if we don't have it here, we don't have it to be given. And the only way we're going to have it here is to not be at war with people and freely trade and show them what liberty is all about. And our government isn't about liberty right now. Uh, But, you know, one less war is a step in the right direction. Well, free trade, as we both agree is a misnomer if it is any way facilitated by the state. But I, I think there's something to be said for the two pathways to free trade, one being through those typical programs and through our government infrastructure and having some diplomatic policies rolling out over the next couple of years. But I think and I hate to be a bit of a nerd one-trick pony here, but I think technology is going to enable things a whole lot faster for us to start doing business with them in a way that is amenable to everyone, right? Whether, and I'm not just talking about crypto, right? I, yeah, Silk Road, man. Drugs. <laughs> I mean, if the general's not there to ship the drugs to America, somebody's got to do it. Once somebody's got to host the servers. Yeah. I mean, if our planes aren't flying out of Bagram Air Force Base full of heroin and, uh, and then coming back with guns to trade for them, for the heroin, then what are we... I think we need to buy a plane. <laughs> well, my, my understanding is that we, that's, that's why he was cleared to pull out of Afghanistan, right? Is it because we established lines elsewhere? Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, that was, that was my understanding is that we found... Somebody picked up this market, huh? Yeah, that, that's already been taken care of. But for people that exist in commerce outside of the CIA... Uh-huh. Uh, let's say 99% of, let's just say the U.S., 99% of the U.S., yeah. um, who don't in any way interact with the CIA 
to some degree. If you're going to be doing business with uh, another country, there there used to be this this presumption that they would have to have either a good or a service to sell, right? That's somewhat basic economics, but in this sense, freedom itself can be a service. Mm-hmm. If, if let, let's say, for example, I want to host a, a website that is cancelable. Mm-hmm. If I want to host something that is problematic or toxic or uh, whatever and goes against the policies of or terms of whatever private corporation. If I have those servers in Afghanistan and serve all of that content from Afghanistan, I am only responsible for the laws under which those servers exist. Now, there are, of course, many folks who claim that they have put laws on top of that as a layer for technological purposes, but they have no authority to do so, right? So if I want to set up a cryptocurrency that starts from a decentralized sort of pod, let's say, in Afghanistan and then continues to exist throughout the world in a decentralized way once it gets up and started, Mm -hmm. I could do that that doesn't trace all the way back to a US server that may have been monitored somewhere. Right, like I, I see just technology enabling so many possibilities here where a, a place that had sort of defined itself by typical big government type resources, whether those be drugs or oil or this or that, I see just the sheer freedom of it all being a service in itself. And I'm not, I'm not here to say I'll, I'll just go on record and say this, right? I'm not here to say that my life would be any more free under the Taliban. I'm not that dense. <laughs> right. I'm not uh, that couple who went cycling through. Some, was, it, was it ISIS-occupied territory? <laughs> right. Um, I'm not trying to say that my life would be any more free or certainly any more safe than it is right now if I were living under Taliban rule. But they do currently, until they enact some sort of regulatory function, they currently have some freedoms in theory that we do not. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially with co- with with commerce, with, uh, yeah, the capitalism, the that kind of thing. I mean, America is not anywhere close to the freest nation when it comes to commerce, you know. Um, it, China, by far, has a freer economic model than we do. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're living the capitalist life under a communist uh political like government but that has legalized basically let go of the reins of of the economics of the nation and freed it up to do way more than what we're allowed to do here which is an interesting discovery right when even someone who is dedicated to the rise of communism says oh but from an economics perspective, it makes sense for me to let these folks do as they please. All right. So they're supposedly communists, but it's more like a capitalist dictator is really the a more accurate description of what is going on there. A dictatorship. Oh, you mean like Trump. It, yeah. Yeah. That's what everyone was saying, right? Right. Yeah, but he didn't do capitalist things, so he he enacted tariffs and shit. So not very. It was a disaster. That was so like that really hurt him bad. Like 
with the with the free market types like the principled free market types but anyway you mean the tea party yeah the people who were in the tea party to be because they believed in free market not the people who are in the tea party just because they hated obama but which i think there was less of the people who cared about the market unfortunately because i was all at those motherfuckers those those rallies and shit i was all about them i loved hearing like that was the that was the only reason why i went to the right was because they were talking about free market stuff and getting it like i didn't care about like their stupid social stuff you know what i mean so like when the tea party showed up and that's all that they were focused on i was like awesome and then it just became about preaching about let's go to war and shit like once the cia got involved in the tea party it's just like all the groups that start to make it you know that get infiltrated you know but I mean, it's like the all the people in the bro, the that brother, the one that Gavin started. Oh, uh, the uh, something. Uh, Pride Boys. Yeah, Proud Boys. That's Proud it. Boys. Every one of the top guys turned out to be a CIA informant, if not working directly for the CIA. Every single one of them. <laughs> at the top of that now <laughs> except for him you know he left and he's been destroyed it is unfortunate and maybe that's an exercise we can talk about publicly here right because n- not only are the folks in afghanistan in fear of being infiltrated in a very similar way but mm-hmm. even in the us and we'll just say globally here, how do you separate yourself and create an identity that is strong enough and resilient enough to withstand that kind of infiltration? Yeah. Yeah, so like, I find that that's difficult. I mean, I know for a fact that there's people in the Libertarian Party, people in the libertarian management that are plants there's there's no doubt in my mind well um, we experienced this at pork fest right and i, I don't right. think it's i don't think it's inappropriate for us to say this i i don't think that this is any big a secret that's important for us to keep like we interacted with people who were planted at what i would consider a relatively small event yeah who were meant to stir up trouble right and and this is where libertarian party type people their minds get focused on the party stuff how do i win elections or how do i make this money go the furthest for this and they're doing bureaucratic things to get people into bureaucratic positions for you know, whatever liberty reasons, but these things cloud the mind. And if you don't have your foundation in economics, like you can easily be pulled away with that whole, like try to like the Cato guy who went on CNN last week and said, libertarians are for the, the, uh, passport mandate uh, the vaccine passports and he gave some sort of like vague excuse of like the bad that if you didn't get it would outweigh the the liberties that were being taken from you but that's not libertarian that's that is libertarian-esque stuff like you were there up until you weren't, and this is where you weren't. Wait, you know what I mean? I don't, so I don't, I didn't follow this. Who who was this? Like the one the Cato or one of the um 
the big dogs at the Cato Institute um, who thinks that he is the voice of libertarians. Um, he was on CNN and he was saying like, uh, you can look him up. I don't remember his name, but he was saying that uh, libertarians support the, the vaccine passport thing because getting people vaccinated is important and <laughs> so so he was saying that he supports the no he was saying mandate. libertarians he's right he's specifically he, he's speaking as libertarians right so he's saying the libertarian movement the libertarian party is sort of officially that because those are multiple things at least in my mind yeah there's like the libertarian movement there's libertarian party well he thinks that he's because he's at this think tank that claims to be libertarian that he is the the arbiter of you know where we go so uh, he just and he's and he's so what i'm saying is like he mucked up the waters like he was like oh we're willing to violate our rights a little bit here because it's important enough you know what i mean like even if it was important enough it's not we stick to our principles right right so that's not libertarian that's not that may be cato and what they call it but that's not what libertarian is being a libertarian means you have a principle and we can debate about everything else. It opens the discussions up because at that point it's all voluntary. So there isn't a reason to punch somebody in the face over it, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, um, and, and that's kind of my question, right? Is is how do we both as let's say a, a libertarian movement, or if we were to start, let's say we were to start the new tea party, something that is politically just about the economics, mm -hmm. like e even more simplified because the, I'd say the libertarian movement and ultimately the libertarian party both have a lot of uh, baggage while mm -hmm. also having a very complicated history. Mm -hmm. The platform itself, which is, just the NAP mm -hmm. <laughs> is incredibly simple, but strangely, that's very hard for people to swallow. So if, if we were to start a platform or a, a party in the same way that Gavin or the Tea Party or, or whoever did, and we can, I, I'm not even hitching my wagon to any of those people in, in particular, because I'm sure they, they went awry, but how do you how do you keep from getting? I think it's easier for people like us than it is for people like Gavin. Because like in the party, it could, those people could definitely be like a plant could definitely do some stuff they have already. But in a group like like say we started a group um as long as it was small enough and there wasn't like voted chair members and you know stuff like that where they could just do stuff that wasn't principled and they could just keep doing it because they're the chair like I, I don't think it would be hard for us because and a lot of libertarians that i speak to are you know their foundation comes from economics first and foremost and that led them to libertarian being a libertarian um and when your foundation is there and you have the nap also on your hand like if you know economics not only do you know it violates the nap but you know why they're the evil things that they're gonna do with it you know what i mean like you can't even spin it in a good way, you know. 
so like if you understand human action you understand that the the vaccine passports aren't about it's not even about getting people vaccinated it's more about the power that now you can start adding things to that anything that the government needs to do they can start because they've started a a uh they've made a precedent so um yeah i don't, I don't think that libertarians with that kind of background even if there was one in there, his bad ideas would just kind of in this glance, like maybe he is good enough of a plant that we didn't call him a plant. Like we didn't figure it out, but he would sneak in some bad ideas every once in a while, but they just wouldn't ever keep, they would never catch traction with a group like that. So. Is it because we are forming groups around people instead of around ideas right like we're not forming something based on a principle or even an idea right like the the tea party the tea party tagline of just their name right like their uh, their name being reference to the boston tea party it's a taxation thing it's an economic motivator the idea that we're paying too much in taxes whatever yeah, I think the fact that it was around an idea first made it get as far as it got before it got take. You know what I mean? Like it, it held strong to the economic value thing for quite a while till it got off on this war tangent. But like, you're right. I think that that probably is a big part of it because when you're just calling something a cool name like the proud boys and really the only thing you are is against antifa right and you can people can bring all kinds of stupid ideas into that right um so yeah i i I think that principles are everything and i think i'll go ahead and put it out there that anybody who says we should think about which I hear, I see it all the time on Twitter from so-called libertarians. We should think, don't you think the, the nap, we should rethink that. And, uh, you know, you're, I think you're a plant because that's, that's the thing that the plant would want us to get. Like, that's the thing keeping them from being able to totally screw over the libertarian party. Cause enough of us believe in that nap and live by it that, Yes, they can pull us away a little bit and skew a few people and make us angry and whatnot, but like they can't mold it into what they want to because of that. And uh, maybe you're not a plant and you've thought it, you had, but a plant put that in your head, guaranteed. Because that that idea doesn't come from libertarians. People who really think about this stuff. They're so far beyond that. They realize how much of an engine that is. The NAP. How much help that is to getting through to the real things. Following the money and like seeing what's really going on in the world. It's It's like a uh, it's, it's just like a plow. It just pushes all the bullshit out of the way so you can see the road. And it's such a good tool. And before I had it, you know, it, it took me, little things could trick me for a long time. And I'd have to, and I didn't know why. But why would you want to throw that away? So I think you're a plant if you're putting that shit out there. I can think of a chair member that put it out there. <laughs> what what was the argument? Because maybe this is something we can steal man a bit. I, I don't I I couldn't just say one. It's just it's normally like if if somebody's 
if they're bitching about something online and then somebody says, you know, they they're talking about it, they're debating it or whatever, arguing, um, which is mostly what Twitter is between libertarians, just a bunch of arguing. And somebody says the NAP, there's a certain libertarian that I'm not going to mention its name, but if you follow libertarians on Twitter, you know, I'm talking about typically come back with some shit like, uh, um, don't you think the NAP is a little outdated? Don't you think we should think we might need to throw that out? You know, it just, it always he or she, I want to even give you whatever always likes to throw that little tidbit out there whenever somebody brings it up. I think you're a plant. Yeah. Is it outdated? Uh, (laughs) Can it be outdated? A principle? No. (laughs) I don't it didn't, it's not like it spoils. Has it expired? <laughs> like, it's not milk, you know? And this is why I'm trying to give benefit of the doubt here. Is, is this person's position not that we should rethink the NAP, but more that it's too simple to explain more subtle debates? Well... I think a lot of people who get sucked into it, into thinking that the NAP maybe isn't the answer, go into a situation that's dealing with like a political situation where we have a government that's violating the NAP and to get more rights, we might have to do something that still violates the NAP to get some of our rights back. And they get well there is no nap happy but there is there is an nap happy answer it's this doesn't exist it doesn't mean that i'm saying that well i'm not going to go with either of those two answers because both of them but when i say i think this is probably our better move it's not without a saying it's not without me saying but this is not ideal. We're still moving to the, you know what I mean? And, and they get hung up in that. Like they can't see down the road. They think, they think because there wasn't an NAP answer there that they could get done at that moment. That that means the NAP doesn't work. That it's not what that means. That means you were, you only have two choices given to you by the person who's violent, you know? So like that you can still, you can say, I think this is a better choice out of those two. And also say, I don't think you should exist. You're bad. Right. And, and this is getting incredibly vague. So I'm, I'm sure it's hard for everyone to follow what we're talking about here, but (laughs) I, I think the sense of, two candidates a two-party system even even if we just let's just give them the benefit of the doubt which i never would but let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they're actually two different parties um and there's actually a duopoly let's say that that's real even with that assumption if we say that there are two candidates and they both violate the nap it's not a matter of which of those you choose it's not a matter of choosing anyone because we did not decide that that is the way we choose leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get these silly arguments on Twitter where it'll be like, does voting violate the NAP? <clears throat> not, I mean... The fact that you have to vote for a slave owner is violates the NAP. You know what I mean? Like just because you're trying, you're in a bad situation and you're trying to get the lesser of two evils, 
whether I think that that's kind of futile and stupid, it doesn't mean that you're the evil one in this situation by going to the pole. Um, now the, you can be doing it for evil reasons. You can be going to the pole too specifically because you want somebody's rights violated. You don't like a group of people or whatnot, what have you, but that doesn't, that just doesn't, doesn't mean that voting is necessarily a, and I think that I see these people getting these arguments that go on forever on Twitter. And I, I, I don't ever really chime into them, but I, I want to say, Hey, you're getting caught up in some way. You go back to what you're talking. Like, what is the NAP? I think now you've twisted what it is to the point that of course you don't know whether you're violating it or not, because you don't, it's not that hard, hard of a thing. Like you're entwining a principle into government. The government itself is a violation. So like, you know, it, I, it, I, I agree, but that government is the only government we have right now. And in okay. order to live peacefully in this country, there are certain concessions we, we do have to make with that because they do have the monopoly right, on violence exactly right? and and i think this is where we're having we, we tend to have what i would consider a philosophical question because the idea of does voting violate the nap is some extension of if you follow you know mises it's the fact that like every human action or inaction is in fact an action, right? right? Or if you want to talk about the trolley problem of if you do nothing, is that in itself an action? Or if you do something, is that an action? Yeah. Those kinds of things. And they're philosophical questions. And you can look at them as philosophical paradoxes or, or, or however you want to view those. It doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, you're just getting caught up in like you say you're getting caught up in the weeds of something that really doesn't matter because it's a philosophical question as opposed to the idea of okay what can you do to work toward the ideal mm -hmm. what is what is the ideal figure out what that is and how can you work toward that and you have to live with yourself on what those choices are because we every day are making those concessions. You cannot mm -hmm. live a perfect life. And if you, the only way that you can live a perfect life is to commit one final sin. And that is to end your life. Yeah. Well, I like how Scott, I like a lot of things that Scott Horton says, but he believes in the NAP and he was one of these people brought this up to him uh what's his name matt uh medved medved michael medved no that's not it michael malice erickson matt erickson i remember that because i thought of eric erickson when i heard his name and uh he's claims to be a libertarian but I I haven't really heard anything come out of his mouth that was very libertarian-y. What was the context here? Was this um, on a podcast or interview or something? Yeah, I think it was an interview. It was a, on Scott's radio show, not not his podcast, but his radio show. Um, anyway, uh, it, he said something about the NAP or whatever, and. And Scott said, I believe in the NAP and the NAP is how I, is how I run. It's how I risk assess how I'm going to affect somebody else's life. If I do this, it doesn't mean that if something violates the NAP, that I'm not going to decide that the risk of the violation, how much I'm going to have to 
owe this person or whatever isn't worth it. Like I might choose that it's worth it. He's like, because if we lived in and cap Capistan today, I would still think it was worth it to skate in somebody's empty pool. I jump their back fence in a heartbeat and go skateboard in their empty pool. And then if I got caught, Hey, that's on me. I've got to pay for whatever, like it risk reward, whatever. If you throw a shoe at George W. Bush, <laughs> you should expect to have some other diplomat throw a shoe at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They threw a lot of stuff at that Actually, guy. Two shoes, right? He, he, he <laughs> he did. Did. He's got both of them. <laughs> I don't think either hit, though. No, they didn't. No, it, in fact, it was kind of smooth. Like, as bad as that looked for Bush, because it, he, the narrative that he was trying to, he was kind of, he was leaving office when that happened. And this was like a hurrah that was supposed to be like, look, this is the Afghani government. They're established and they love that we did this. And that was what it was supposed to be. And then that just kind of ruined it. But what was cool that Bush did is his dodge. Both of his dodges were very smooth. He didn't let go of the podium. He was like, like and this just looked at him. His dodges were smooth. His dumb look afterwards, probably not as smooth. He looked like an idiot. But Well, it depends on what your thoughts of Bush were going into that. And I know you said that 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 kind of ruined that narrative for him, but I I disagree. And and you know what? I, I know this is a this is very uh, out out of character for me and probably uh, both of us. But I'm gonna go go out and say that I completely disagree with Scott Horton here. And Scott, I love you, but I completely disagree. And I'm not saying it just to be uh, contrarian. I'm saying it to to derive some some meaning meaningful learning here. I, I think I've heard I've heard Scott talk about this um, not only in in general for like Bush and his parades and his victory laps and things like that, but yeah. I also heard him say something similar when he had. Uh, Al Zaidi on his podcast, and he was talking about how foolish it made Bush look, and how it completely ruined the narrative, and and all of this. But that perception, I think, is in no way accurate to anyone who was sympathetic to Bush up until that point. Because myself, right. being someone who is very much on uh, the left during that time, uh, I tried to have uh, the conversations with all of my sort of right-leaning colleagues who were very much in support of Bush. And I say, see, even these journalists, these are the people. And their understanding was that he was not representative of the country. He was some, you know, uh, he he was empathetic to the terrorists or or whatnot. Right, like, that's that's the narrative right, right there. And I I don't say that again. I, I don't say that to just nitpick. I don't no, say that no, to say I get like, it. Because because you know those who don't learn from history are, are doomed to repeat it. And I I think it's important that we understand that to us who are looking at that from our viewpoints, we were like, oh, that completely destroyed. Uh, the narrative, but I honestly think it did quite the opposite. I think it propped him up as a bit of a martyr. Um, again, to your point, like this was this predated, you know, like the popularity of like Reddit and other social media being kind of like at the yeah. forefront. But he was very much a meme in that sense, but one where people were very excited about him dodging shoes, and it made him a bit of a a hero in that sense. And I, I think it's important for us to take responsibility on some of those things and make sure that we look at those things twice. So um, I say that with love, Scott, again, I, I, I wonder uh, why I took it there because I was still a Republican then, but I was no longer 
a Bush Republican. I was very anti-Bush and his father by this point because I had gone down the, I looked into the whole trade center uh, that you remember that documentary that was a lot of the science is dumb, but like the jet fuel doesn't melt stale beams. Yeah. Well, there was the, the fake one that is done by that comedian, the, the blogger that I really liked. And that got me looking at the actual documentary. And then I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense. That didn't. But like there were certain things that did. So I looked and then I started going. And then it. so basically at the time that the shoe was thrown, I was I had known we had been lying into the war. I just didn't know how extensively. So I was definitely angry at the bush when I saw it. So maybe that's why I also took it like, see, these people don't want us here either. You know, I probably didn't take it as meaningful as Scott maybe took it, but like I was still very new into not being for the war and very, so I didn't know that much of the details at that point. But. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's an important uh, bit of self awareness that we can we can all all get is that just because we took something some some way doesn't necessarily mean that the world at large did, um, and the news isn't always representative of the people in the same way that Bush claimed that that guy wasn't representative of Iraq. Right. Um, so it's always interesting, and, and I, I would encourage anyone else to do the same for me, right? If, if I'm looking at, at something and I'm not quite getting. Oh, I thought you wanted me to throw a shoe at you. Huh? 